Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1249. The Ukraine War meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, Part 2. This is being recorded on June 15th of the year 2022. Before we get into the main body of the broadcast, uh, several points of information. Uh, I am have been told that the link to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor Perifractal, some of them my other intelligent listeners, no longer works. So I'm going to check that out, see if I can replace it. But uh, be aware that because there is so much going on, there is no way that I can do justice to what is going on with a one-hour weekly program. So the comments, most of which are, again, made by our brilliant contributing editor, Perifractal, some of them by other intelligent listeners, are intended to help flesh that out. Uh, if the link doesn't work, do get in the habit of checking the SpitfireList.com website on a regular basis to get those comments. Now, the top of each written for-the-record description and at the top of each food-for-thought post, these are on the SpitfireList.com website, there are a number of links. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and that is increasingly the case in our uh, smartphone-dominant society here in 2022, then the sister station WFMU is making those available. Another, another of the links will enable you to obtain the flash drive that contains basically everything on the SpitfireList.com website. For all practical purposes, all of my written and recorded work dating back to 1979, plus all of the comments, again, made by Perifractal or and or other intelligent listeners. I get no money whatsoever from that, and again, it's available for a very modest and tax-deductible uh, fee. Uh, so if you itemize your income tax deductions, then you can itemize that. And again, I get no weapon, no, no money whatsoever from that uh, uh, flash, <laughs> uh, glancing over at the... Uh, subject material for this program. We're talking about weaponized bird flu. That is not a weaponized flash drive. I do think, however, that we are uh, doomed to, be, to make a wall story very short. Uh, a good caption will be, why is this man laughing? I think perhaps uh, the old saying by Nietzsche, a joke is the epigram on the death of a feeling, comes pretty close. But I, I don't think we are going to make it as a species and as a civilization. I think we are sleepwalking uh, into a third world war or other cataclysmic 
uh, event, and I do think that uh, the risk of seeming a little corny. I think as sentient beings, we have a responsibility to preserve the record of what happened for those who come afterward, and the flash drive is a great way of doing that. Basically, uh, you will have everything on the SpitfireList.com website for yourself. By the way, in addition to all of my written and recorded work and the comments by Parafractal, that flash drive also contains the mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. And last but certainly not least, again, there is just too much going on for me to cover in a one-hour weekly broadcast. I have begun a Patreon site, which is still very much uh, in evolution. I'm doing three one-hour talks per week, and uh, there's also going to be other information available in print. I'm still working on that. Uh, the transcription, myself, if I can figure out a way to do that, I'm working on that. But it is still up in the air, so a big question mark there. We are also doing bi-weekly Zoom Q&A talks, the second of which will be coming up this coming Sunday. That will be June uh, 19th. So, again, in order to help flesh out the coverage of all of the things that are going on. Uh, the Patreon site with three one-hour talks, plus uh, there will be some printed information, plus a bi-weekly Zoom Q&A session uh, is a very good way of helping to do that. Those talks, uh, although still appearing, as I think one must, to the basic uh, documented format or the basic documented concept that I use, uh, they are more informally presented and not as pedantic as the For the Record program. So, again, the Patreon site, another very good vehicle for helping to keep yourself informed. Now, uh Speaking of the uh, pedantic format that I use, uh, we are going to plunge right back into the uh, article and topic that I have been covering. Uh, many people have joked over the years about my use of the word milieu, which is a, uh, a favorite word of mine. There is a reason for that. When one is discussing the kind of information that I talk about, there aren't a lot of good synonyms for the word milieu, and that is uh, this series of programs goes right to the heart of that, uh, the milieu that we are focusing on here, and this is in connection with the possible weaponization of the H5N1 avian influenza. That is a deadly Avian influenza, it infects and kills birds. It very rarely infects human beings. There have been a number of gain-of-function manipulations that have been performed on it that makes the virus, the H5N1 avian flu, much more communicable. Uh, and Anthony Fauci and his NIAID have been the primary bureaucracy and bureaucrat involved in the allocation of the funding and administration of the funding for that. However, uh, 
Although Fauci, I think, is not without blame in this and in the COVID uh, op, I think he is more of a bureaucrat. And I think uh, people who uh, are not only involved in the experimentation, but others who uh, are behind the national security curtain, so to speak, uh, Pentagon, CIA, what have you, and are basically uh, operating the marionettes that we see on the stage are the real movers and shakers. However, the aforementioned milieu in the weaponization of H5N1 and its spread to human beings. Uh, first of all, again, Anthony Fauci and two people whom he has commissioned to perform gain-of-function manipulations on H5N1. We have spoken about them in our series on BioPsyOp Apocalypse Now, about the COVID op. Uh, one of them is Ron Fouchier, F-O-U-C-H-I-E-R, at Erasmus Medical College or University in the Netherlands. His superior, Jan de Jong, D-E, capital J-O-N-G, is another of the people in this, and Yoshihiro Kawayoki of both the University of Tokyo and also the University of Wisconsin-Madison is another of these people. Now, networked heavily with them are A. Robert G. Webster, a fellow in Hong Kong named Kennedy Shortridge, and someone uh, whose protege Shortridge is, is a guy named uh, Robert McFarlane Burnet, uh, B-U-R. M-E-P. He is uh, a fellow, a Nobel Prize winner at uh, the, in Australia, and he has been involved in the, uh, well, basically he made recommendations that because of its relatively temperate climate and sparse population, uh, that Australia should engage in uh, biological warfare research and application in order to basically uh, tamp down or to curtail or even destroy the populations of Asian countries with more tropical climates and who would be more vulnerable to biological warfare. Now, Kennedy Shortridge uh, was based in Hong Kong, and he had been predicting uh, a human iteration or mutation of H5N1, just such a human outbreak took place in the very key year of 1997. That was the year of the handoff from Great Britain to China of the Hong Kong colony that had been uh, appropriated via force of arms by Great Britain in the 19th century opium wars, which also uh, basically foisted opium on China. That became one of the dominant dynamics in China and in particular in the uh, narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek's Kuomintang that I spoke about in a long series of programs that was for the record programs of 1194 through 20 to 1214. So remember those names. Uh, Yoshihiro Kawaoki and uh, Ron Fouché, Jan Bajong, Robert G. Webster, Kennedy Shortridge, and Robert McFarlane Burnet. 
Uh, we'll come back to those. I will reiterate uh, some of the key excerpts from this article that I used in the last program, but after we have read the bulk of the article. Now, said article is, and a very important one, once again, from a website that we have used in numerous programs. This is from Organic Consumers Association from April 22nd of 2022. Is bird flu being weaponized by Alexis Baden Mayer? And we read a portion of that into the record in our last broadcast. And I'm going to overlap the presentation and reading of the article in this program as well. A section of the article called Fauci and Gates Funded the Weaponization of H5N1 reads as follows. Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates figured out how to get scientists to participate in biological weapons research with a clean conscience. They paid them to, one, believe pandemics are caused by pathogens that don't infect humans. Two, use genetic engineering and synthetic biology to, quote, predict, unquote, how those pathogens will infect humans. In his 2006 piece, The Science, How a Pandemic Could Spurt, Scott Dowell wrote, quote, while rare instances of H5N1 passing from person to person have been documented, there is no indication that it can do so efficiently. That could change. A series of mutations or a single genetic reassortment event, a type of gene swapping among viruses, could enable H5N1 to spread efficiently among humans, triggering a pandemic. H5N1 may evolve into something that's easily spread through coughing, sneezing, or contact with contaminated hands. In his wisdom, Fauci decided to see if he could make that happen in a lab. As director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, or NIAID, Fauci commissioned two game-of-function research teams with grants titled, quote, Pandemic Potential of H5N1 Influenza Viruses, and, quote, Understanding the Emergence of Highly Pathogenic Avian Influenza Viruses. Gates tripped in, too, with grants 48339 and OPP GH5383 from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, see Ice Age Foundation. Ice Age Farmers Westbrook found a lot more documentation of Gates funding of gain-of-function research to make highly pathogenic avian influenza even more pathogenic and transmissible. The scientists... Fauci chose to lead the H5N1 teams, Ron Fouché, at the Erasmus Medical Center in Marvinban, the Netherlands, and Yoshihira Kawaioki at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the University of Tokyo, with scientists Fauci had funded since 1990 under grants with titles including Influenza Virus Assembly, unquote. In February 2006, Fauci convened a one-day in-house NIAID Influenza Research Summit to identify influenza research priorities. In September, he opened up the topic to a 35-member, quote, blue-ribbon panel on influenza research, unquote, that included Fouchier and Kawaioki. The blue-ribbon panel's report doesn't mention gain-of-function experiments, but Fauci gave them grants to do just that. Fouché 
and Kawaoka's now infamous gain-of-function research showed that, through lab manipulation, H5N1 could be altered to become highly transmissible among humans via airborne infection. In this video from Ice Age Farmer, Christian Westbrook talks about Russia's claim that the U.S.-funded Ukraine experiments with engineered strains of bird flu that could kill 50% of humanity. Uh, we've spoken about the Russian allegations in the past, and we will uh, recap some of the chilling informational allegations, I should say, uh, both about the weaponized and digitized birds in Ukraine and also documentation that, in fact, uh, migratory birds had been studied as vectors by the U.S. military and actually migratory birds had apparently been used to see about the spreading of the uh, voracious lone star tick. And we spoke about that in uh, Fort the Record 1243, and we will come back to that later on in this series. One more time. Did Fauci and Gates' weaponized H5N1 end up in Ukraine? In this video from Ice Age Farmer, Christian Westbrook talks about Russia's claim that the U.S.-funded Ukraine experiments with engineered strains of bird flu that could kill 50% of humanity. Russia's accusation was presented to the United Nations. Russia's information on U.S. funding of pathogen research in Ukraine was gleaned from public sources. One more time. Russia's information on U.S. funding of pathogen research in Ukraine was gleaned from public sources. Robbie Martin of Media Roots Radio has compiled the documentation in a searchable database housed by Our Hidden History. Martin did a great podcast on the subject, quote, Is the U.S. making bioweapons under the guise of biodefense in Ukraine and elsewhere with Gumby? As Igor, by the way, with Gumby is <laughs> not the U.S. making bioweapons with Gumby. That is apparently uh, the title of the podcast. Continuing. As Igor Kirillov, the head of the nuclear, biological, and chemical protection troops of the Russian Armed Forces, has reported, the Pentagon-funded pathogens project in Ukraine were labeled UP for Ukraine project and given numbers starting with UP1. Currently, the project lead for U.S.-funded H5N1 research in Ukraine, the Pentagon's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DTRA, refers to it as UP4 of Ukraine Project 4, is Denis, B-E-N-Y-S, Muzika, M-U-Z-Y-K-A. The link goes to his, this is obviously in the printed, the link goes to his publications on Google Scholar. This is all very well documented, and the U.S. has not denied it, although it insists it is in full compliance with the Biological Weapons Convention. Ukraine is a hub for Pentagon Biolab funding, and biotech and pharmaceutical companies are going where the government contracts are. Our millions against Monsanto nemesis Bayer is sidling up to the trough, too. A series of bioweapon scandals that predate the current crisis reveal that the U.S. has been funding H5N1 research in Ukraine for many years. Beginning in 2018, Diliana Gayantsheva, of Arms Watch published a series of reports on U.S.-funded biolabs revealing that defense contractor Black and Beach got a total of $208.5 million in Pentagon contracts to design, construct, 
and equip 11 biolabs in Ukraine in 2008, 2012, and 2020. The company completed Ukraine's first biosafety level 3 laboratory in 2010. Black and Veach also maintains the Pentagon system in Ukraine for the, quote, control and accounting of biological materials in laboratories and the, quote, early detection of a disease outbreak and assistance in an effective response, unquote. Gayant Fieva, by what's G-A-Y-T-A-N-B-Z-H-I-E-V-A, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Gayant Fieva was also the first to report Methobiopis Pentagon contracts to research pathogens in Ukraine. By the way, Methobiopa, uh not only partnered with EcoHealth Alliance in the Oswald Institute of Virology Research that we've covered, but also uh, its uh, activities in Ukraine was expedited by Hunter Biden, and the Daily Mail has confirmed that from laptops on Hunter Biden's, uh, from emails, I should say, on Hunter Biden's laptop. Continuing. Metabiotic received a Pentagon contract worth up to $23.9 million that included a 2014 line item allocating $307,091 for Ukraine research projects, unquote. As mentioned above, Russia claimed that the U.S. labeled its Ukraine Biolab projects as UP for Ukraine project and gave them numbers. This matches the way American scientists working on these projects refer to them, but they call them, quote, Metabiota Ukraine projects, unquote. For example, there's this reference to Metabiota UP8 on LinkedIn. Black and Beach and Metabiota co-lead the Defense Threat Reduction Agency's so-called Science Writers Mentorship Program, or SWMP, in Ukraine, begun in 2016. That's how the Pentagon puts one degree of separation between itself and Ukrainian scientists. The scientists put a disclaimer on their published research that says that their research isn't funded by DTRA, but their publications are through SWMP. And by the way, we've spoken about the Pentagon research and also uh, the material that was online privacy of the U.S. Embassy, but was taken off the internet after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and uh, was, however, preserved by the Wayback Machine and we have those links in past broadcasts. Continuing. For example, the authors of Phylogenetic Analysis of H5N8 Highly Pathogenic Avian Influenza Viruses in Ukraine 2016 to 2017 thank, quote, Greg Glass, Program Director for DTRA's Cooperative Biological Engagement Program in Ukraine, and the scientific staff at BV Methobiopa Kiev, Ukraine, for critical reading and assistance with preparation for the article, unquote. They also thank the, quote, Science Writers Membership uh, Mentorship Program, or SWMP, for their support in providing resources for writing this manuscript, unquote. Then they claim that, quote, DTRA slash CBEP did not directly support the research described herein, unquote. They leave out the fact that they worked in laboratories designed, built, and equipped by the Pentagon. But their most revealing acknowledgement is to the Center of Excellence for Influenza Research and Surveillance. As Gayansieva reported in, quote, 
Potential pandemic bird flu modified to be more dangerous in new risky NIH research. CEIRS is one of Fauci's funding streams for research that could spark a human bird flu pandemic. One more time. This is again CEIRS. Funding comes from Fauci. As Giant Together reported in Potential Pandemic Bird Flu Modified to be More Dangerous in Risky NIH Research, CEIRS is one of Fauci's funding streams for research that could spark a human bird flu pandemic. The II Mechnikov Anti-Plague Scientific Research Institute of Ukraine is Fauci's regional CEIRS hub. Is the Mechnikov Institute being set up as the next Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I call it, the Oswald Institute of Virology? Continuing. The surprising links between the origins of COVID-19, Ukraine biolabs, and the 2001 anthrax attacks. In addition to Black and Beach, Fauci's Center of Excellence for Influenza Research and Surveillance and Metabiota, there are two other notable U.S. organizations working in the Pentagon-funded biolabs in Ukraine, Southern Research and Battelle. Some background on them. Southern Research has had Pentagon projects in Ukraine since 2008 and the Ukraine office since 2010. It has received $688.5 million in government funding since 2001. According to this LinkedIn profile, Battelle, that's B-A-T-T-E-L-L-E, is also operating Ukraine biolabs running Pentagon-funded, quote, projects in virology, bacteriology, decontamination, aerosol science, BSL-2 slash 3 laboratory activities, CONOP, data analytics, and molecular biology, unquote. Battelle, Metabiata, and Southern Research's involvement connects U.S.-funded pathogens research in Ukraine to two very hot topics. One, the Biden family's economic interests in Ukraine, and two, the truth about COVID-19, as well as a much older incident that shouldn't be memory-hold, the 2001 anthrax attacks. The above video from the Reach Report ties it all together, but here are a few additional details as well as information about how Metabiata, EcoHealth Alliance, Southern Research, and Battelle link back to the 2001 anthrax attacks. Medibiata was part of a predict team handling viruses in China in 2013 when they found what it now believed to be, one more time, Medibiata was part of a predict team hunting viruses in China in 2013 when they found what is now believed to be the closest known relative of SARS-CoV-2, a bat virus named RATG-13. Predict that's all in capital letters, is a U.S. AID project funded by U.S. tax dollars, but it got its start at Google.org. Again, U.S. AID, a Pentagon subsidiary that often serves as a front for CIA projects. Continuing. In 2008, Google.org committed $30 million to virus hunting 
and gain-of-function research on, pand- on potential pandemic pathogens through a project called Predict and Prevent. At least $5.5 million of that went to Dr. Nathan Wolf's Nonprofit Global Viral Forecasting Initiative, or GVFFI, which was soon to become the for-profit Never by Ava. Other GBFI funders at the time included the Skoll Foundation, that's capital S-K-O-L-L, which also gave $5.5 million, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Merck Research Laboratories, and the U.S. Department of Defense. When the GVFI became the for-profit Mepabayapa, Google Ventures continued to invest. In addition, it created a business partnership with Metabiapa, quote, offering its big data expertise to help the company serve its customers or insurers, government agencies, and other organizations by offering them forecasting and risk management tools, unquote. In other words, they sell pandemic insurance. Google's predict and prevent was a profitable investment. The company parlayed the $30 million it bundled through its nonprofit Google.org in the hundreds of millions in government grants for its partners in the pandemic industrial complex, including $99.5 million for its in-profit partner. One more time. Google's Predict and Prevent was a profitable investment. The company parlayed the $13 million it bundled through its nonprofit Google.org into hundreds of millions in government grants for its partners in the pandemic industrial complex, including $99.5 million for its for-profit partner Metabiapa since 2008. Note the following. Now that Metabiapa has gotten caught up in the COVID origins scandal, its original investors, Eric Schmidt of Google, Jeffrey Skoll of eBay, Rajiv Shah of the Rockefeller Foundation, formerly U.S. AID Director, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, chipped in to fund the COVID Commission Planning Group, a whitewash led by Philip Zillico, who gave us the 9-11 Commission cover-up. Uh, Interrupting very briefly, in For the Record Program 1190, we not only recapped the fact that Michael E. Gordon, who has been journalistically flogging the lab leak hypothesis, uh, basically hanging uh, COVID-19 on a, quote, leak, unquote, from the, what I call the, the Oswald Institute of Virology. He previously had been flogging the Saddam Hussein, has weapons of WMB, helping to justify the invasion of Iraq. Philip Zellico has again been chosen to head up a 9-11, uh, a, a COVID commission planning group, which is also going to, quote, investigate, unquote, the lab leak hypothesis. He previously had led the commission that, quote, investigated, unquote, the 9-11 attacks. Uh, that was a commission that had so many uh, apparently strategic omissions, as noted by, among others, Peter Dale Scott, the brilliant Berkeley researcher, that uh, it might have been accurately titled the Omission Commission. Philip Zillico also, uh, in 2002, uh, crafted the document which put into policy the recommendations by the Project 
for a new American century's Rebuilding American Defenses paper, uh, which advocated, among other things, the use of genetically engineered biological warfare weapons as, quote, a useful political tool. So Philip Zellico has quite a uh, CV. And again, uh, our documentation on on that uh, in For the Record 1190, among other programs, from P.B. Bale Scott's The Road to 9-11 uh, in 2009, and P.B. Bale Scott's uh, The American Deep State from 2015. Recapping this last paragraph. Now that Metabiota has gotten caught up in the COVID-19 origins scandal, its original investors, Eric Schmidt of Google, Jeffrey Skoll of eBay, Rajiv Shah of the Rockefeller Foundation, formerly U.S. AIB Director Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, ship in to fund the COVID Commission Planning Group, a whitewash led by Philip Zelico, who gave us the 9-11 Commission cover-up. One of Metabiota's predict partners is EcoHealth Alliance, whose science and policy advisor, David Franz, produced the anthrax used in the 2001 attacks while working for Southern Research and partnering with scientists at Battelle. We've spoken about David France in the past, and uh, note again his role uh, as the science and policy advisor for EcoHealth Alliance, and his previous work with Southern Research, helping to develop the encapsulated weaponized anthrax that was used in the 2001 anthrax attacks. Continuing. France, that's F-R-A-N-Z, by the way, a former commander of the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, went from Fort Detrick to working at Southern Research for the Pentagon's Defense Advanced, one more time, France, a former commander of the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, went from Fort Detrick to working at Southern Research for the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, which from 1999 to 2001 contracted with advanced biosystems for microencapsulated anthrax. France's Southern Research was a subcontractor on that project. His partners, Advanced Biosystems Ken Alabek, a former Soviet bioweapons scientist, and Charles L. Bailey, another former DTIC commander, filed a patent on the silicon microencapsulation technology in 2001. In their 2012 article in the peer-reviewed Journal of Bioterrorism and Biodefense, quote, Evidence for the source of the 2001 attacks, Martin E. Hugh Jones and Barbara Hatch Rosenberg and Stuart Jacobson link the forensic evidence from the anthrax attacks to the Alabek, Bailey, and Franz's microencapsulation techniques. The trio likely engineered the attack anthrax in Battelle's West Jefferson, Ohio facility. And again, that's the anthrax. We're not saying necessarily they were involved in the attacks, okay? Uh, there is good discussion of the anthrax attacks in both for the record 1128 and also 1139. Continuing. As Whitney Webb has reported, the Pentagon contracted with Patel, quote, to create the genetically modified anthrax, a task that was overseen by Patel's then program manager for all things bioweapons, Ken Alabek. And the next section, the 2009 Ukraine flu panic. 
one of the many pharmaceutical companies working under the U.S. government contracts at, at Ukraine Biolabs is the pharmaceutical company Baxter. In 2009, after the company nearly sparked an H5N1 pandemic, rumors circulated that Baxter caused the flu outbreak that swept Ukraine later the same year. In early February of 2009, Baxter accidentally combined a highly pathogenic avian influenza with H3N2 flu that commonly infects humans. The mistake occurred in Baxter's Austrian laboratories, and the deadly chimera was distributed to subcontractors in the Czech Republic, Slovenia, and Germany. The contamination was discovered and human lives were spared when what they called an experimental virus material, unquote, killed ferrets in a test conducted by researchers who believed they were working with a common seasonal flu. Baxter never explained what happened, by the way, of genetically engineering H5N1 to infect ferrets was something that was done in the uh, Fouchier and apparently also the Calioka experiments. We talked about that in numerous programs in the aforementioned uh, BioSciap Apocalypse Now series, the earlier part of the series that we did on the COVID-19 op. Continuing. An h one N1 swine flu pandemic began the next month, March 2009. The U.S. government gave Baxter contracts to produce swine flu vaccine despite the H5N1 contamination incident. Coincidentally, unquote, Baxter had filed a patent on its H1N1 vaccine on August 28th of 2008. When the swine flu hit Ukraine in October of 2009, the recent Baxter H5N1 scandal and their laboratories in Kiev caused rumors to circulate that it was actually H5N1 spread via vaccines or aerial spraying. An interesting bit of history from from the 2009 pandemic is an opinion piece in foreign policy claiming that, quote, Yulia Tymoshenko, the Ukrainian prime minister, and presidential candidate purposely inflated fears of an ongoing swine flu epidemic to aid her presidential run, unquote. It marked her full-blown panic over swine flu, complete with quarantines, school closures, runs on pharmacies, and alleged that, quote, she also banned all mass gatherings and political rallies after she had already had hers, unquote. Foreign policy revealed its true reason for attacking Timoshenko when it mentioned her, quote, pandering to Russia on gas deals, unquote. The next section, the curious origin of H5N1. The first H5N1 outbreak, beginning again, again, the, it should be the, the curious origin of human H5N1. The first Human H5N1 outbreak occurred in Hong Kong in 1997, the year of what the British call, quote, the Hong Kong handover, unquote, when sovereignty over Hong Kong was transferred to the UK. Actually, one more time, blew it. The first human H5N1 outbreak occurred in Hong Kong in 1997, the year of what the British called the Hong Kong handover when sovereignty over Hong Kong was transferred from the UK to China. Again, a very uh, significant year 
a first human H5N1 outbreak. And uh, that was altogether, quote, coincidental, unquote, because it was during this politically sensitive, unquote, year that Kennedy Shortridge, S-H-O-R-T-L-I-G-G-E, an Australian scientist who was the director of the World Health Organization's reference laboratory at the University of Hong Kong, confirmed human cases of highly pathogenic bird flu. Shortridge's colleague, Yuan Kwok Yung, attended to the H5N1 patients and devised a rapid diagnostic test known as RT-PCR to analyze respiratory secretions from these patients. Again, this was the first known human H5N1 outbreak, and uh, it occurred in Hong Kong, the year of the handover from Britain to China, and Kennedy Shortridge, a very interesting fellow. One more time. Kennedy Shortridge's co- colleague, Yuan Kwok Yung, attended the H5N1 patients and devised a rapid diagnostic test known as RT-PCR to analyze respiratory secretions from these patients. As they published in The Lancet, this was the first time that a purely avian virus had been isolated from people with a respiratory disease and the first time that a PCR test was used for rapid diagnosis of such patients in a clinical setting. The 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 virus was unique in every respect. Time magazine reported, quote, on the H gene at a point called the cleavage site was found a telltale mutation the same kind of mutation found in other highly pathogenic avian viruses. The virus had regions that were identical to portions of an avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983. The LA Times reported, quote, The H5 piece came from a virus in a goose. The N1 piece came from a second virus in a quail. The remaining flu genes came from a third virus also in quail, unquote. Shortridge had been studying how avian influenza viruses spread to humans since 1975. Prior to discovering H5N1, Shortridge eerily predicted its emergence. One more time. Shortridge had been studying how avian influenza viruses spread to humans since 1975. Prior to discovering H5N1, Shortridge eerily predicted its emergence. As Frank Ching reported in Bird Flu, SARS, and Beyond, unquote, as early as 1982, Shortridge had labeled southern China, where human and domestic animals lived in close proximity, quote, an epicenter for the origin of pandemics, unquote. Ten years later, he called southern China, quote, a virus soup, unquote, and warned that pandemic influenza was a zoonosis that is, it could that is, it could be transmitted from animals to humans, and in 1995, he warned that influenza in southern China could not properly be called an emerging infection because it was constantly working. Elusive might be more apt, he wrote. Again, this last paragraph, because it is critical. As early as 1982, 
Shortridge had labeled southern China, where humans and domestic animals lived in close proximity, quote, an epicenter for the origin of pandemics, 1982. Ten years later, he called southern China a virus soup, unquote, and warned that pandemic influenza was a zoonosis. That is, it could be transmitted from animals to humans, and in 1995, he warned that influenza in southern China could not properly be called an emerging infection because it was constantly lurking. Elusive might be more apt, he wrote. An example of Shortridge's penchant for such predictions is his 1995 Lancet article, The Next Pandemic Influenza Virus, unquote. Curiously, H5N1 emerged two years later in 1997 in the same city where Shortridge worked, Hong Kong. At the time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was thought to be so unlikely that scientists first suspected contamination from Fort Ridge's lab was the cause of the highly improbable H5N1 diagnosis. One more time. At the time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was thought to be so unlikely that scientists first Suspected contamination from Shortridge's lab was the cause of the highly improbable H5N1 diagnosis. How would that contamination happen unless Shortridge hadn't already been working with H5N1 in the lab? Pond Magazine reported, quote, In an earlier study conducted with great discretion, his lab had found that residents of rural Hong Kong had antibodies to all the known bird flu viruses, unquote. H5N1 did not cause disease in humans until this potential had been studied in a lab for several years. And that was Shortridge's lab, and we're going to hear about Shortridge and his relationship to uh, uh, McFarland Bernay in just a minute. Fauci had been funding Kalioka and Fouché's efforts to get bird flu to leap to humans since 1990, and their work was connected to what Shortridge was doing in Hong Kong. For seven years, prior to the first human H5N1 outbreak in 1997, Fauci had been funding Kalioka's game-of-function bird flu research at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and Kalioka's member there, Robert G. Webster, was working and publishing with Shortridge. Every year, Webster spent three months working with Shortridge at the University of Hong Kong, according to this profile of Webster, which mentions Kalioki as his protege. The most eerie connection between Shortridge and Webster's labs is that the closest known relative of the 1997 Hong Kong human H5N1 was the avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983 that Yoshihiro Kawaoki had studied. According to Time magazine, Webster assigned a young scientist, Yoshihiro Kawaoki, to try to figure out how the 1983 virus transformed itself into such a hot pathogen. Kawaoki now a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, compared the genetic structure of viruses from the first and second waves and found only a single, extremely subtle change in the H gene. 
The two viruses differed by just one nucleotide, one of 1,700 nucleotides that made up the gene. In 1997, Fauci rewarded Shortridge and Webster's team for the H5N1 outbreak by creating and funding the St. Jude Center of Excellence for Influenza Research and Surveillance, which continues to operate today in the U.S., Canada, Bangladesh, China, Colombia, and Egypt. Webster was one of the first game-of-function scientists publishing a successful creation of a recombinant virus in 1973. As Lyle Fernley, F-E-A-R-N-E-Y, writes in Wild Goose Chase, for an influenza pandemic to arise, a new form of the virus is necessary, one able to escape the immune responses cultivated by human populations during previous flu outbreaks. The American Robert Webster had previously shown that such new viruses can be experimentally produced in the laboratory. Taking viruses derived from different species, he co-infected a single animal host, a process that Webster and his co-authors observed had encouraged the two viruses to swap genetic material and create, quote, recombinant, unquote, forms. There's also a connection to Fouché through his member at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, Jan de Jong, also a colleague and collaborator of both Shortridge and Webster's. Karaoke's colleague and member Robert G. Webster and Fouché's colleague and member Jan de Jong were the first scientists outside of Hong Kong to receive samples of the 1997 human H5N1 flu from Shortridge's lab. De Jong is often credited with being the one who identified the 1997 Hong Kong flu as H5N1, but he did so with, quote, a panel of reagents to every type of flu strain yet known, unquote, that had been bought from, brought from Webster's lab in Memphis to the National Influenza Center in Rotterdam. Kalioki and Fouché are a post-biological weapons convention era where the weaponization of pathogens is euphemistically called, quote, game of function, unquote, research, but their older colleagues, De Jong, Shortridge, and Webster came of age prior to 1972, and their mentors were of the pre-biological weapons convention era when virologists knowingly and openly engineered viruses for military purposes. One more time. Kawaiuki and Fouché are a post-biological weapons convention era where the weaponization of pathogens is euphemistically called game-of-function research, but their older colleagues, Dijon, Shortridge, and Webster, came of age prior to 1972, and their mentors were of the pre-biological weapons convention era when virologists knowingly and openly engineered viruses for military purposes. And here is sort of the, the daddy of them all. Shortridge and Webster were trained by Frank McFarlane Burnet, who served on the Australian Department of Defense's New Weapons and Equipment Development Committee in the 1940s and 1950s. The Federation of American Scientists lists some of the most chilling things Burnet recommended. 
We may have said Australia should develop biological weapons that would work in tropical Asia without spending to Australia's more temperate population centers. Specifically to the Australian situation, the most effective counteroffensive to be threatened to the threatened invasion by overpopulated Asiatic countries would be directed towards the destruction by biological or chemical means of tropical food crops and the dissemination of infectious disease capable of spreading in tropical but not under Australian conditions, unquote. Brunet argued that Australia's temperate climate could give it a significant military advantage. The main contribution of local research as so far as Australia is concerned might be to study intensively the possibilities of biological warfare in the tropics against troops and civil populations at a relatively low level of hygiene and with correspondingly high resistance to the common infectious diseases, unquote. In Note on War from a Biological Angle, suggesting that biological warfare could be a powerful weapon to defend a sparsely populated Australia, he urged the government to encourage Australian universities to research areas of biological science of relevance to biological weapons. Quote, the main strategic use of biological warfare may well be to administer the coup de grace to a virtually defeated enemy and compel surrender in the same way that the atomic bomb served in 1945. Its use has the tremendous advantage of not destroying the enemy's industrial potential, which can then be taken over intact. Overt biological warfare might be used to enforce surrender by psychological rather than direct destructive measures, unquote. In the report, Bernay concluded that, quote, in a country of low sanitation, the introduction of an exotic intestinal pathogen, e.g. by water contamination, might initiate widespread dissemination. Introduction of yellow fever into a country with appropriate mosquito vectors might build up into a disabling epidemic before control measures were established, unquote. And, quote, the possibilities of an attack on the food supplies of Southeast Asia and Indonesia using biological warfare agents should be considered by a small study group. We'll review the uh, sort of grand parental relationship between Bernay, Shortridge, Dijon, Robert J. Webster, Kawaioki, and Ron Touchet, uh, in later on in the program, in the series, I should say. And in conclusions, the 1972 Biological Weapons Convention should and could be enforced, but so far it has not been. It merely changed biological weapons research from overt to covert. While it is still largely funded and carried out by the Pentagon and the CIA, which the New York Times reported was involved in anthrax research prior to the 2001 attacks, Biological weapons research today is draped with the fig leaf of Anthony Fauci's National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, funding to maintain the image of peaceful public health purposes. It is entirely possible that the whole controversy around Fauci's game-of-function research is an elaborate red herring, and it is the Pentagon and or the CIA that are behind the pandemics. 
As the World Socialist website reports, President Joe Biden's 2023 military budget proposal, more than $2 billion per day, contains a massive amount of money that could be used for biological weapons. A record $130 billion will be devoted to military research and development, including hypersonic weapons, biotechnology, and microelectronics. Another $40 billion in the Air Force budget will go to other agencies on a classified basis. This is known as the Black Budget, unquote, and finances operations which the national security state does not report even to Congress, let alone to the American people. In addition, the Director of National Intelligence is requesting a $67.1 billion classified budget. Another funding pause on gain-of-function research wouldn't be a bad thing, but it isn't going to stop the next pandemic. Inviting Fauci is important, but even that isn't the end game. Ultimately, we need to declassify and cut the Pentagon and CIA's budgets and work for enforcement at the bi- of the Biological Weapons Convention. Well, indeed, now there is a lot to chew on here, and we're not only going to review some of the key points, and also, again, the relationships. You've got Fauci funding Kawaioki, and also Ron Fouché. Ron Fouché's mentor, uh, Jan Bijong, was involved in a lot of this research, as was Robert G. Webster, and both Robert Webster and Kennedy Shortridge, in turn, network with... Uh, Robert McFarlane Bernay, uh, again, the sort of uh, great-grandfather, grand, uh, or the, the grandfather, father, and uh, children of this H5N1 weaponized research and the uh, very curious, quote, coincidental outbreak in uh, Hong Kong in 1997. Again, this is a highly suspicious relationship and will reflect against uh, on this against the background of other things as well. And again, I will review key points of this particular article. Again, the Russian allegations of uh, of using bibitized birds in Ukraine and the documentation uh, from public sources of the H5N1 research in Ukraine uh, should be borne in mind. And we will reflect on this in our next uh, program in this series. Again, uh, in order to help flesh out understanding of all all of the things that are going on, not only the comments that were made mostly by Perifractal, but also the Patreon site with three one-hour talks per week in a more informal presentation are uh, designed to uh, basically cover the many things and present depth that I just cannot present in a one-hour weekly broadcast. I will continue with those and with the uh, long written descriptions on the SpitfireList.com website, but there just isn't time in the week to recover all of this in that one-hour program. This concludes further record program number 1249. The Ukraine War Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, Part 2. This is being recorded on June 15th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.